All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof. I got them out of order. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's a ministerial verse. It's found in a pastoral epistle. The man of God who applies himself to the Word of God has a thorough library of 66 books that give him the material that is to be conveyed to God's people on how they're to live and walk in this world. And all that scripture that is profitable includes the verses that talk about how we're to work in our carnal callings in this world. Paul told Timothy to go on and preach the Word. God gave you the Word. That Word thoroughly furnishes you and makes you able to be perfect. Now preach it. Be instant in season and out of season. That's to be insistent about what the Word of God has to say on every subject. And so we take up the subject further today about a Christian work ethic. If I were a young man, about the age of 14 or so, 15, and had some fire in my bones and bosom, and had the Spirit of God in my heart, I would be excited to have the Word of God open before me and the greatest success manual ever written on how to proceed through professional advancement in this world. I'd be excited and wanted to hear every word. I thank God for every word I heard that when I did hear it. At times I wish I could go back to put it into practice again. I did work hard. But if I went back, I could whip the old Jonathan Crosby. Because with greater zeal and greater diligence and greater wisdom, I could outdo him. Because we learn things in life, but old men don't get to go back. Old men just get to invest in the young ones sitting among them. And so all you young men, you should be listening with all your might. You've got two ears and one mouth. So be quiet and open them both and hear. There's a reason for there's reasons for success and failure in life. And I'm talking about employment life, professional life, and financial life. All other things being equal, it comes down to you applying God's wisdom and rules from His Word. I've got about 40 of them. We'll cover a few of them today. Here's why I'm preaching on this subject. I am commanded to do it. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 2 puts it this way. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. That's why. These things teach and exhort. What things? If you're working for an unbelieving master and you are under the yoke, you're a bond slave. Then you be the best bond slave he's ever paid for. You be the best bond slave he has. If you're working for a believing master, whether bond or free, you give him even greater service because the two of you are going to get the reward of the eternal inheritance. These things teach and exhort. That's why I'm preaching on it. It's God's commandment 
that we be taught these things. There's other places that say the same thing. Paul said in Titus chapter 2, after he had finished laying out the duties for old men, old women, young women, young men, he said, these things speak and teach with all authority, let no man despise thee. The second reason I'm preaching on this subject is because it adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the word of God. I love the kingdom message. I love the doctrine of God. The doctrine which is according to godliness. And how do we adorn it? How do we make it beautiful? By going out of here and working harder and better and wiser than those around us. We show that we're exceptions, and we show that we're different, and we show that the lifestyle we have and the wisdom that we've obtained is better than theirs. God told Israel that. Have I been over that verse enough for you to remember Deuteronomy chapter 4? That all the nations of the earth are going to look at Israel and say, What a wise and understanding people. Look at their laws. There's no nation that has God so close to them as Israel. Well, that's what the whole world should be saying about you on the job. I have never seen someone so gracious, so respectful, so punctual, so diligent, so conscientious in the way they work. So thankful, they never whine, they never complain, they never participate in all the petty office politics. They're wonderful. What an asset to this company. I'll bet they're a Christian. Praise the Lord. Yes. Where do you go to church? Praise the Lord. If they haven't asked you, there's a reason. You don't look like a Christian. And if you look like a Christian, you're such a pitiful one, they don't care where you go to church. These things teach and exhort. I don't understand that as meaning comfort and stroke. I mean, I understand it as teach and exhort. So, please, appreciate it. The, the third reason, or another reason that I'm... Teaching these things is because it's part of your sanctification. I wrote yesterday, and I still believe today, the single thing that takes more of your waking hours is your job. So that's the biggest part of your life. If we look at one item, it's your work time. Are you doing it in such a way that you match up with the holy standards of a holy God? It's part of your sanctification. It's pleasing God. It's how Christians ought to walk. It is full-time Christian service. Are you full-time? Is it, you full-time? Full-time? Then it's full-time Christian service because when it talks about jobs in Colossians chapter 3, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You're full-time Christian service. Oh, I'm so sick. I've said it before. I, I know when I repeat myself. But do you know, you know that repetition is part of learning. I'm so sick of those churches that will take their audiences this day and tell them that they are second-rate Christians and second-rate citizens in the kingdom of heaven unless they are pastors or missionaries. Every one of you has a full-time Christian calling, and it's to go to work tomorrow and work like a Christian because Colossians 3, the last four verses, tell us that. And listen, if you read Colossians chapter 3, if you read it, if you read it with understanding... That's more than a full-time job from the first verse to the 25th verse. It's more than full-time. It'll take everything you've got to have a proper relationship with all those around you, to love your spouse both ways, to love your children and train them, and to be their worker or master on the job that you should be. Full-time Christian service. Find me one verse that tells you to be a missionary anywhere. 
except in the way that the New Testament describes. I do not care if I stand against the entire Baptist ministry. This is the Word of God. And there is not one sentence in a general epistle about Christians being missionaries. There's everything about Christians being great fathers, great children, great husbands, great wives, great employees, great employers, great citizens, great lovers, great brethren, forgiving and forbearing one another and not having grudges and great peacemakers. That is Christianity. You've got to be kidding me. Take a four-year vacation in some foreign country at the expense of God's people in this country. Instead of going down to that greasy factory and working your backside off and cheerfully submitting to a boss that can't stand you and passes you over for promotions and doesn't keep his word to you, that's real Christianity. Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us. I'm preaching this because of the financial duties that the Bible gives and I want all of you to be conscious of them. As we already read this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord wants you to have all the stuff it takes to live. The Lord wants you to have some extra stuff to give to others, Ephesians 4 and other places. How can you ever fulfill Psalm 112? Psalm 112 is about the blessed man, the blessed man whose children are blessed after him. Do you know what it says about him? He gives. If you ain't got it, you can't give it. See, that's how it's a great motive to work. Lord, I, Lord, I submit myself to your will, but if that promotion, if I can have that promotion, I can get that pay raise, all I want it for is to fulfill you the financial obligations I find in the Word of God. I don't want it for prestige. I don't want it for a bigger house. I want it for bigger giving. Praise the Lord for that kind of an attitude. And that's a Christian attitude. That's a godly attitude that's submissive to the Bible. You want, you want to have enough for, to help out in the kingdom of God. You want to have enough for future trouble so that you can lay aside. You can't work just enough to get by. Work enough to get by, you are a disgrace to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen when an evil day comes and you're not ready for it? Ants don't work enough just to get by and ants are the ones we're supposed to go look at. The Lord never said in the Bible, go to the zoo and study the South American sloth. There is a creature called a sloth. It takes about an hour to move 12 feet. It's called a sloth for good reason. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to study the sloth. In fact, we're told not to be slothful or like a sloth. We don't work just to get by. We work to have enough for these reasons that God's given us. And one of them is trouble is coming. And I'm, I'm your brother and friend and trying to warn you and the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to warn you that trouble's coming and you better be ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, it's your fault. Don't come hollering at our door. Every day that you took it easy and every day you paced, it, paced yourself through work and every day that you were, you were fearful of an interview and every day that you were fearful of getting a better job, then so be it when your belly button touches your spine. I am not your enemy. I'm going to preach and teach the Word of God and exhort just the way it's taught. The Bible has no care for sluggards. You need to take care of your family. Your parents are aging and they're going to need help, possibly. You need to take care of them. You need to have an inheritance for your children's children. You can't work just to get by. You're supposed to have some extra to give to your children's children after you've done all these other things. 
That takes working a little bit harder than just living from hand to mouth. This is the word of the Lord. This is why I'm teaching it. I want your happiness, success, prosperity, and pleasure in life, just like the Lord does. The book of Ecclesiastes, which we studied, told us that those things are what God wants you to enjoy, to live joyfully, to drink your wine with a a merry heart, to eat your bread with joy, to have your garments white at all times. I'm preaching this subject because we live in a generation, in a time of generational inferiority. This generation that has now come on the scene is different from the generation that is phasing out, that's dying off. They don't work as hard. They're spoiled. They're lazy. They're disrespectful. They're not independent. They're moochers. They're spongers. That's why there's so much talk about bailouts and spending more money that doesn't exist. Because no one wants to pay the price for past pleasure. The chickens have come home to roost. And we need... There's easy ways to solve our political and economic problems. Very easy. But it would take some pain because we've lived beyond our means for a long time. But we have a generation that expects that. And they think that they can bail themselves out again by throwing more money at a problem caused by too much money. They've entered a house where the smell of gas is reeking and they light a match to see where the problem is. It's amazing. Amazing. Instead of talking about billions, they move to a hundred billions. Instead of talking about a hundred billions, they move to trillions. There's a reason for it. We've got a lazy generation that thinks all we can, all we have to do is will our way out of our troubles. No, there's hard work and pain to get out of troubles. We live in a generation that's lazy, and so this has to be preached. I want our young men to get over being lazy, to hate spoiled kids around them, to hate wastefulness, to hate extravagance, to hate intemperance, to hate disrespect, hate all those things. Try to be like your grandfather and your father. They live totally differently. When you look at the faces of them in a photograph, they weren't grinning from ear to ear. They hadn't just played Nintendo for two hours, which followed golf of four hours. They were serious and sober about life because they had to work to make a way in this world. And there was trouble every every year. We're spoiled. That's why I'm preaching it. Number seven, a depression is very possible. And the Bible says to foresee the evil and hide yourself. And do you know how you hide yourself? You hide yourself in the shelter of God's word. If we do it God's way, he'll take care of us. He can feed anyone, anywhere, anything they need or desire. And we want to trust the Lord to do that, but we cannot call upon Him, nor can we trust Him to do that unless we are following His Word, especially in that area that directly applies, and that's employment and finances. And I'm preaching this because I have to warn all of you that the the Church of Greenville is not a general insurance fund. Right. The Church of Greenville is not a general insurance fund. We're generous, and we've been generous. But we don't support fools, and we don't support sluggards. And we won't. And if you, in years past, or in the present, or in the coming year, are not as diligent as you could be and should be, and if you don't insure and protect yourself as wisely as you should, and if you waste your money in foolish investment scams and Ponzi schemes, and if you don't save, and if you live from hand to mouth, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some people tell me that the bark of certain trees is edible. Maybe you could try that. 
we will not support sluggards. The Old Testament condemns it in Proverbs 20 and verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have, do you all know the verse? Nothing. He'll beg. It's harvest when we're all loaded, but he gets nothing because when it was planting time, he wouldn't plow because it was too cold. If you work a job just because you like it, you're a fool. You need to work a job to meet the financial goals that the Bible's given us. The New Testament says, We commanded this of you when we were there. We showed it to you by our example. And now we're writing it to you. If a man does not work, neither shall he eat. I love the God of the Bible. And I love the Bible of the God of heaven. Because it talks that way. That's the way it should be. That's real political economy. Do you want to get this country corrected real fast? The man, the men that don't work wisely and diligently, they lose and starve to death and we get rid of them. And the men who work diligently and wisely get their businesses and get their houses. It's that simple. We don't need a bank bailout. We need a bank failure. I mean of gigantic proportions. We need the biggest banks in this country to go under their executive officers and board of directors put in prison, and then the better-run banks can take up all their assets, and we would live happily ever after, because then we would be following God's Word. Right. Would it be painful for a few days, only for a few days, because the banks that have run themselves well would start salivating at getting their hands on the good assets of those banks? They wouldn't touch the rest. You say, well, what about the rest? Well, those people can have their homes foreclosed and they can go live in an apartment, a trailer home, or a tent. Because if you don't pay your mortgage, you don't belong in anything better than that. That's why I'm preaching on it. All those reasons put together. What have we covered so far? Christians work sufficiently. That means a Christian does whatever it takes to fulfill their financial obligations. See, our grandparents knew that, because no one was going to help them. You know, when they, when they got down to it and said, let's, let, yeah, let's go out to eat, to eat again tonight, wife. Yeah, let's go out to eat again. Uh, we don't have enough for the mortgage. Well, the government's going to take care of it. See, our, parent, our grandparents never had that. Never heard of anybody taking care of their mortgage. They knew if they didn't pay the mortgage, and it wasn't going to take two years in foreclosure court. It was going to take less than 60 days, and they'd be on the right-of-way, and the bank would own their house. They all, they all understood that. And so they worked accordingly. See, the Lord knows that. You know that. But there's a lot of people today that don't want to admit that. So work sufficiently. We do whatever it takes. But remember, there were pioneers that would take their 40 or 160 acres and clear that land and turn it with the most primitive methods. And they would make an existence out of that land. And they would prosper in that land. They would become prosperous in this great land because God blessed them. By the way, that song we sang, God of Our Fathers, 133 years ago, our Congress asked for a new song, a new national hymn for the centennial of this nation. And that's the response. Oh, there were lots of responses, but that's the one that won the contest of the Congress of the United States of America. And when you sing that, I hope you enjoy it. And I'm sorry if I haven't told you that before, but that's where that song came from. If you'll look, if you'll look at it right now, it was 710, but don't get distracted. It says 1876 because that man wrote it for our Congress. God of our fathers. And he did not mean Allah. 
And nobody that sang it meant Allah. Because you know what? In 1876, there wasn't a Muslim in this country. There wasn't a Muhammad Ali. God of our fathers. Thy true religion. What do you think they were talking about? Islam? Sorry. Hinduism? Paganism? Naturalism? Humanism? No. The only religion this country knew at that time. Christianity. It wasn't a hundred years before they would even let a Catholic who claimed to be a Christian become the president of this country. We... Christians work sufficiently. They do whatever it takes. You know why I'm saying this? I do not know what it's going to take. I'm not a prophet. If I was a prophet, we could take care of ourselves in the markets and we wouldn't have to worry. But the Lord isn't going to give us that. Christians work passionately. The second point we covered, Christians work passionately. The Bible says, do it heartily as unto the Lord. You know when it says that in Colossians 3, verse 23, what's it talking about? Now, I know, I've ridiculed this before. Is it talking about singing in the church choir? That's the third time I've used that. What's it talking about when it says, do it heartily as unto the Lord? Go to work every day. Right. Do it heartily. Put your heart in it. Love your place of employment. Love your job. Love the parking lot where you park your car. Love the dandelion that's coming up in the parking lot where you park your car to go into the factory where you work. Love it. And do it heartily because it's from the heart. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a job. Amen. Do any of you, can any of you, some of the older ones can, but do any of you understand what will take place when your father, your husband, or you is unemployed and there is no job? Available. We're going to have to go down the street to the Mormons, aren't we? Because the Mormons have at least a full year in cash and whatever else they need in the house to survive without one dollar coming in the door. What a shame. Christians work passionately. When we go to the job, we want to do it heartily as to the Lord. We don't do it to please men. When the boss comes around, you don't work any harder than when he's not around. When the boss is in a bad mood, you don't work any less than when he's in a good mood. Because you know what? You're working for one boss every day. And who is the boss? The only master that really counts. The one with the biggest paycheck. The Lord Jesus Christ. So we do it passionately. Love your job. Do it heartily. As unto the Lord. Christians work conventionally. They conform their appearance to fit in so that the company wants them as, an, as a representative of their ideals and standards and philosophy to the other employees and to customers. You conform. Clothing, hair, whatever it takes. You do it. I gave you many Bible examples. If you need them again, look at the outline. Christians work sacrificially. They understand that at times it may mean sacrifice to be a good employee. Sometimes you're going to be asked for overtime when you had something planned for that evening. Do you know what a Christian says? Great. Thank you. Do, do you understand that that ought to be the, what comes out of our lips immediately without even thinking? When you don't have a job, you will wish that you could have some of that overtime that you turned down. Take every single minute of it. If you had a date planned with your wife... Call your wife and tell her, we're not going to go on that date tonight. I'm going to work overtime because three nights from now we'll, we'll do something a little better. And you take a few bucks of that overtime. Take that overtime. Because you work sacrificially. 
Do you think Daniel got to where he was or Joseph or David or anyone by not working sacrificially? You'll never pay the price that Daniel did to get his job. He had minor outpatient surgery because they didn't have inpatient surgery for it. And it, was, it may not have been a sharp knife. And he was made a eunuch for the kingdom of Babylon's sake. Did he plot the rest of his life to get as close to the king as he could so that he could kill him during the night? Who was the most faithful and loyal subject that, Babel, that Babylon and then Persia ever had? Daniel the Jew. Praise the Lord. you got a great name, son. You ought to read Daniel 6, 1 through 5 at least once a year with your parents and say, Thank you for the name that you gave me. And by the grace of God and with your help and pressure, I want to have the character and the spirit of the man that we just read about in Daniel 6, 1 through 5. There was such a wonderful spirit in Daniel. And when they vetted him, you know what vetting means? Vetting is what they do to politicians by digging into their past to see if they ever smoked a, a cigarette out behind the junior high school. When they vet somebody, they go back and find out every single thing they could. All of Daniel's enemies vetted him for the 60 years he had been in Babylon. They could find nothing. Amen. No fault found in him. Right. You know why I'm telling you this? Because whether you end up working for Lockheed Martin or GE or any other company here in Greenville, I want you to be like the Daniel of the Bible. And if you're the only one that hears my message today, I'll go to heaven and I'll still be thankful that my life is worth something. I wish I could go back and be your age. You can come to me anytime. I'll tell you every single thing I did wrong. I'll tell you what I did right. And I'll tell you what the Bible justifies as being right. I want you to be like Daniel. We have a little Joseph in here. He doesn't even know he's a Joseph. But I hope that Joseph grows. Well, that's not fair. Joseph. Joseph. Do you know you're Joseph? Told you. What a name. What a name. Did he serve Potiphar well? How was he bought by Potiphar? How much clothes did he have on? He probably stood there naked. Did they come up and slap his bubble butt to see if he was a, an athlete that could perform for Potiphar? Oh, I'm sorry, if I, I'm sorry if I crossed that threshold of your poor little mind. Was he in shackles? Was he taken home as a possession of Potiphar? A, a foreign Egyptian when he knew that he was God's chosen people? Did he plot every night of his life to kill that master? Did he plot on how he was going to run away? That man had paid good money for him, and he was going to earn every cent of it, and he did. He applied himself well. Joseph. He goes to prison falsely accused of rape. Does he sit in prison and hate his master, hate his master's wife, and hate a judicial system that put him in there when he wasn't guilty of the crime? No. He conducted himself in the prison so that they put everything under his hand. When he was called before Pharaoh, who was in charge of all this pagan idolatry that was around him, did he serve that man, his country, his nation, his priests, his religion, as well as he could? He did. What an example. Right. Stephen. Did he serve well? Let me tell you how well he served. With an angry mob that wanted to kill him. He opened his mouth and he led them all the way out the branch by telling them about the history of Israel and God's dealings with them. And then when he got to the appropriate place where they were all shouting, Amen, 
he turned on them and told them that they were uncircumcised. Jews don't like to be called uncircumcised. This is all in Acts chapter 7. They stoned him to death and he asked for God to forgive them and lay not that sin to their charge while the Lord Jesus Christ stood up to receive him into heaven. Was Stephen faithful? Amen. This is, how can you ever tire the word of God? What chapter do you want to turn to? What book do you want to turn to? It's so full of good examples. And if you don't have a name that matches up with someone in the Bible, then match it up with the Bible anyway. Christians work conscientiously. They have an owner's mentality about their work. Joseph had an owner's mentality about Potiphar's stuff. How do we know that? Because Potiphar did not know a single thing that he owned. He put it all under Joseph's hand. There's only one way that a man would ever do that, and that is only if the man had an owner's mentality. Isn't that the truth? Right. Would you ever put everything you had... Every one of you that have owned a business, would you ever turn everything over to someone else? Unless that man had an owner's mentality... And he was incredibly loyal to you. Is that what an example? Mm-hmm. Potiphar did not want to know. Don't tell me, Joseph. It's okay. No, just keep doing what you're doing. That's what he said every night at supper. Thank you for this meal. I think I'm going to go play a little round of golf and go to bed, sir. I'd like to tell you what happened. Oh, Joseph, no, it's fine, son. It's fine. Can we work that way? When they start handing you the keys, when they start telling you, why don't you open this place up in the morning? When they start doing things like that, then you can know that you're getting a little toward. You're moving toward Joseph. When they trust you with expensive equipment, when they trust you in different ways, and you'll know the difference. There'll be people there that they won't trust. You can know that I'm I'm a little bit like Joseph. Thank you. You know what you do? You don't say, hey, look at me. You say, thank you, Lord. For giving me this privilege to work as conscientiously as Joseph did. Christians work conscientiously. Christians work modestly. That was last Sunday. They'll work any industry, any job, because it doesn't matter. Even if you're a bond slave. Remember what the Bible says? Even if you're a bond slave, what are you supposed to think about while you're a bond slave? I can't wait till I'm free? Or does it say to be content with being a bond slave because you are the Lord's free man? Praise the Lord, that attitude will get you someplace. There's only one kind of slave that gets beaten. A lazy and disrespectful one. The exceptions do not nullify the rule. The only kind that get beaten are lazy and disrespectful. If, you, if you're a slave like Daniel, was he a slave? Absolutely, he was a captive in manacles and he had outpatient surgery on a very important part of his body. He was a slave. Joseph was a slave. But both of them served faithfully. And the Lord blessed them. They worked modestly. Whatever job they had. Ruth went modestly out in the field and gleaned. But she did it cheerfully. She didn't, there's no crying or moaning or groaning or complaining in the book of Ruth. She went out and gleaned. The Lord blesses that kind of a spirit. We work modestly. We don't care about what job it is. And the last point we made last Sunday was a Christian works boldly. Remember, I hope you'll never forget the words. There's a lion in the streets. Oh, no, there's no lions. don't walk streets. They don't like city streets. There's too many lights. The sidewalk's hard. They don't like city streets. There's a lion in in the way. That's an excuse used twice by Solomon in the book of Proverbs for somebody who is fearful and intimidated and so procrastinates. 
Christians don't procrastinate. They go do what they're supposed to do. You young people, when you hear about a class that's hard, oh, it's so hard, and the teacher is so hard, don't tell me about the lion. Go through that door and look forward to it. Who cares about your A with Mrs. Easy Street? Who cares about your A in underwater basket weaving? Get an A in the class that everyone dreads. Go to it. Don't peek behind the door expecting a lion. Open that door up, sit in the front row, and do your best. And see her at semester break and get down on your knees if you need to. But don't be afraid of her. Go do your best. I had to do that in calculus. The only time in my life to beg for my life. Christians are bold. Don't be intimidated. It's only an A in a class that's hard. Where do you learn more, in a class that's easy or a class that's hard? You know why it's hard? Because you're, 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 you're taking in all new material. Or a lot of new material. It's material that you wouldn't have otherwise, so it's hard. The class that is easy, it's because I already know this. You're sitting back there grinning away. Well, why are you paying tuition for it? You know, you want the one that you don't have. I hope that makes sense. Christians work boldly. Christians work diligently. Diligence over time will bring financial and professional success. And the Lord wants us to be diligent in both testaments. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, the Bible says, Not slothful in business. The Bible knows that the natural man tends towards slothfulness. The Bible also knew that in the year 2009, we would have a whole nation that tends towards slothfulness. But the Bible says, not slothful in business. In the professional, financial, economic, employment part of your life, don't you be slothful about it. You be high energy, diligent about it. Because this is what the Bible says. This is how we please Jesus Christ. This is how we meet all those goals that I already listed. This is how we prepare for the evil day. This is how we avoid a depression. This is how we take care of our family. This is how we take care of our friends. This is how we have enough. This is how we have an inheritance left over. By being diligent. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Slothfulness is a lazy attitude that avoids effort and exertion and takes a slow approach to work that chooses idleness over industry and sluggishness over speed and the Bible condemns it. How do you go to work? To work intensely? Focused? Persistent? For the whole eight hours of the day? When you finish a project and there's nothing else to do, you go ask for more to do. You don't sit and surf the internet. You don't call your friends. You go ask for more to do. If you ask for more to do, you're going to be given more. And when you're given more, you're going to be paid more. And when you've been paid more, you're going to be promoted higher. You work diligently. That's what the Lord wants you to do. How do we become standouts or cream against the others? Because we work harder than they do. And someone will say, but but hard work is painful. Where did you learn that? Where did that come from? Hard work is pleasure. When you find a business, the happiest people there are always the hardest workers. The hardest workers are happy. The complainers and the whiners are the lazy ones. 
You just learn that. It's a lesson in life. The Bible's going to teach us that if we read the whole book of Proverbs. There's pleasure in working hard. You can stand out there needing to dig a ditch that's 30 feet long, and all you can think about is 30 feet. This is going to take me forever. Or you can dig into it. First of all, your heart rate picks up. Your blood pressure works up. When your blood pressure picks up, your whole body's doing better. I'm not talking about 250 over 120. That's stroke. I'm talking about everything starts to pick up because God's blessing you with a machine called the human body. Sweat breaks out. The sun's on your sweat. You feel good. Your water's coming out of you. Your heart's going. You're getting a pump in your muscles and you dig through that thing and you finish it. Did it, boss. I did it. He's happy. You're happy. It's done. Now you can take a break. Do you know what the average person does? They put one shovel in. Oh, this is going to take so long. I need a break. Total different mentality. Diligence. Every one of you children, when your parents ask you to take out, cut the grass. When your parents ask you young men to cut the grass. Yes, sir. I'll do it right now. And when you go out there and cut the grass, you cut it diligently. You check the machine for oil. When you're done, you wash it. You put the lawnmower back where it belongs. You cut all the corners. You don't leave tall weeds standing in the middle of the yard to remind your dad that you're careless because you're diligent. You're diligent. You come back in and say, thank you, dad, for letting me cut the grass. Call me. I'll call EMS and they'll come and revive him. But that's the way it ought to be. That's diligence. I knew a man who'd walk into his boss's office and say, what do you want done? Do you want your car washed? They are both in suits. In executive offices. You want your car washed? What do you want done? What kind of an attitude do you have about work? Proverbs 6, this is what the Bible says, go to the ant. Then he calls you a name. Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, thou sluggard. If you're not a sluggard, then it doesn't apply to you as much as it does to the sluggard. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Are you going to school right now? Don't be a sluggard. Just because the standards there at that school don't press you all the time, press yourself all the time. Be a man that excels. Blow past the rest of the field. Who wants to be average? Lord, save us from mediocrity. We want to be... Jesus was exceptional. In everything He did, we should want to be exceptional. So much fun. Especially when the... You get to play losing teams every week. This is like a football schedule where they're all losing teams. Because nobody wants to work out there. If you were to follow the Bible, young men, they cut the tree down for you to pick the fruit. It's so easy. If you were to apply the Bible in all 40 rungs of the ladder... Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Do you want to be wise? Do you, know what, do you want to know how to get ahead? This seminar is worth thousands of dollars. People, people get paid for having employment and professional seminars to help you get ahead in life. Here's the Bible. Consider her ways and be wise. Look at the ant. Watch what she does. Have you ever seen an ant pacing itself through the day's activities? Have you ever got down on your face and looked at an anthill? Are they pacing themselves? Do you ever see them standing around doing this at the water fountain? And doing the chicken strut as they go back to their office. Ever seen an ant do that? Ever seen this posture by an ant? 
Ever seen this posture by an ant? Ever seen them peeling off the wrapper of a Snickers bar in an office? They're diligent. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Do you want to get, do you want to be wise? Go to the ant. I hope you older men are feeling like I am right now. I wish I could go back and do it again because I could do it better. Well, I still, I still can do it. I'm still going to do it, but, oh, I remember those first jobs. And the Bible has so much to say. What ways does the ant have, Solomon? Verse 7, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler. They don't need someone standing over them every minute of the day, telling them what they need to do next and forcing them to do it. This is a self-starter. Have you ever seen an employment ad that says looking for a self-starter? That's someone who's tired of the average American worker. You've got to tell him what to do, put it in writing, and stand there beside him, helping him along the way. Do you know what an ant does? It has no, what does it say? It has no guide. It has no overseer or ruler. And Solomon wants you to look at that and to think about it and see if you can be like that. It's a self-starter. It figures out what needs to be done and it goes and does it and it goes and does it now. And it doesn't waste any time. And it's fast about it. And it's diligent and persistent until the job's done. Do you know when the job's done? At the end of the workday. Do you know what the workday is for an ant? Fall. <laughs> Fall. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Get up! Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. You are not going to be able to stop the poverty that's going to come and take hold of you. As certainly as when you get in a car to drive to a destination, that you arrive at that destination, you will certainly arrive at poverty if you do not follow the ways of the ant and work diligently. As surely as an armed man gets to make progress against unarmed men, poverty is going to take over you if you do not work this way. This is the word of the Lord. This is what Jesus Christ tells you for all the reasons that I've already given. I hope you remember them. They're all good reasons. So your grandchildren can have a little something. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's a noble and good cause to get up in the morning and go to work. So that you can have to give to others in time of need. It's fun to scatter. But you can only scatter if you've got something to scatter. And on and on we go and we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We get to please God more and more. How do you get to do it more and more under this particular point? By working harder and harder. Let me call EMS the second time when you work so hard that you pass out on the job. Then we'll know that you may, you may have exceeded. But I hope you're laying there on the floor, fainted with a smile on your face. And beads of sweat in your forehead because you got a lot done that morning. Do you all know that when you get a lot done, it just feels good? Yes. It's noon, Lord. It's noon. I got up at 5.30. I was up before your son. I was up before the first bird. I've worked hard. It's noon. The day's half over. Half the world's just getting up right now. And here I am, and I've got a lot done this morning. Oh, it's a... Yes! Don't you... Yeah, let's... It's good! Instead, there's a choice. Oh, it feels so good. It feels so good. I don't want to get up. It's cold out there. It's dark. There ain't even a bird up. I don't want to get up. 
that we make that choice. This is what the Bible says. This isn't Jonathan Crosby. This is Solomon by inspiration of God. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it says, how long are you going to sleep? Get out of bed. Do you know how long it takes if you'll get to the sink and put cold water in your face and rub it around for a few seconds and then dry it off with a towel? All of a sudden, you're glad you're up. Get up, get showered, get washed in the face, get your clothes on, get your hair combed. Yes! That change, what it, what it took, what did it take to make that change? The first step. Just throw the covers off and get out. Slam that clock. Don't touch that snooze alarm. It'll keep snoozing you all the way through the day. The Lord said it. How long will thou sleep? He reasoned about how, they, how we do it, how they do it. Yet a little sleep, just a little bit more, just five more minutes. Just another half hour. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. That's why I do everything. I hope I do everything I do because the Bible says to do it. I want you to think about what the Bible says and make it as practical as possible. If you have a test that day, then why not get your buns out of bed and get your book? You say, I can't study in the morning. There's sleep dirt in my eyes. I can't see anything. Oh, I'll take care of the sleep dirt. Invite me over to your house. I'll get one of those super soakers. I'll put ice cubes in it and I'll get the sleep dirt out of your eyes. Go to the sink and get the sleep dirt out of your eyes and sit down and study if you're in school. Get up and go to work early. If there's something important that day, don't say, how are we going to get this done? You can get it done. You know what my boss used to ask me? What did you do last night between 10 and 6 this morning? If I ever said, I don't think we can get that done... The immediate response from David R. Buckler, Chief Financial Officer of Michigan National Bank of Detroit, to me was, what did you do last night between 10 o'clock and 6 this morning? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, that's a great answer. If we've got some extra... Pr- tell, let me tell you about farmers. In springtime, when it's time to sow, they do not care about an eight-hour workday. And in fall, when it's time to harvest, they do not care about an eight-hour workday. Today, with electric lights, they will work as long as it takes to get that in to their barns. You cannot risk having standing produce in the field that it could rain on, and you don't get it into your barns. There are times that call for exceptional effort like that, and in those times, Psalm 127, verse 2, does not apply. Where it says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, and eat the bread of sorrows. Forget the bread of sorrows, just get up and have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and get to work. Diligence. Thank you, Lord. Is this the only time he mentions the ant? No, he mentions the ant in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 25 when Solomon or Agur said, Agur, chapter 30, four things, exceeding wise, very little on earth, one's the ant. They store up for the future. They do not live from hand to mouth. They do not live from paycheck to paycheck. They do not do just enough to get by. They are always thinking about the future. And so you work extra hard to have something for the future. Do you all understand what I am saying about that matter? Because we may have a future that, comes, that becomes our present very soon. I'm dreading it and I'm praying for the Lord to stave it off and to help us. And I'm asking for the Lord to preserve us in the midst of it. Proverbs chapter 10. A slothful man or a sluggard doesn't want to work, doesn't like exertion, doesn't like effort. Chapter 10 and verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. If your effect on your boss and if your effect on your manager 
And if your effect on your company owners are the same effect as vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, don't blame them or me or anyone else for the fact that you haven't got a promotion. Do you understand what this is all saying, what the verse is saying? When you're given an assignment, it takes you a long time to get it done. You're like vinegar on their teeth, which hurts, and you're like smoke in the eyes, which is a real irritant. This is what the Bible teaches. Do you want to get ahead? Never be like smoke in their eyes. Well, how can I do that? Always get the job done better and faster than they thought you could get it done. But they think I can get it done too fast. Well, maybe once in a while that's true, but it's generally not, or they wouldn't be in a place of supervision. Because they had to work themselves up through that, and they know how long it takes. I just can't do it. They get another job. You know, maybe you need one washing turtles. Get another job. They know. When they tell you it should take this amount of time, you should be able to get it done that amount of time. And if you don't get it done in that amount of time, when they come and see you, they should see that you're pale, you're dehydrated, and the shovel's worn out. It's down to a nub. If you were digging that 30-foot ditch that I was talking about a few minutes ago. Look at... We never want to be vinegar to the teeth and a smoke to the eyes. We want to be a smile on their face. We want to be health in their bones. And the Bible says that about masters as well. 13.4 Solomon used the word sluggard. A sluggard is somebody who avoids effort, who doesn't really want to put out, who paces himself, who isn't diligent, who doesn't spend energy, who isn't intense about what he's doing. Sluggard. 13.4 Proverbs 13.4 the soul of the sluggard desireth, oh, they all want stuff, and hath nothing. Why doesn't he have anything? Because he's a sluggard. Sluggards don't work hard enough to ever earn enough pay to buy stuff. So they ain't got stuff. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. He's got more stuff than heart could wish, so he's giving it away to other people. That's the word of the Lord. This is why we work hard. It's not Jonathan Crosby's philosophy about life. This is the word of the living God. This is part of your sanctification. This is how we please God in this world. And work is a pleasure. It's fun to be rewarded and put something new in your garage or something new in your house or something new in your bank account or give something to someone else because you've been made fat by diligence. There's a reward for diligence. There's no reward for being a sluggard. And do you know what? The sluggard thinks his job is worse than the diligent man does. That is the beauty of it. When you serve the Lord, there's a blessing in the doing. The diligent person who's had a good day and accomplished a lot has a better feeling about life and about the day than the, than the lazy man who didn't work hard because he wanted to preserve his energy and because he felt that hard work is painful. He feels worse because he knows he's a loser and he has nothing. Don't make excuses. You're either an intense, hardworking person or you are a pretender. 26.16, this is the warning of Solomon. Don't make excuses. Either you intensely apply yourself and get things done ahead of schedule, and you really put out on the job and you are fast and efficient, and get there early and stay late if, it, if it's called for, or you don't. You bust at things. You don't pace yourself you don't worry about perfection when, you, when you're told to get something done. 26.16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. 
Though there would be seven diligent men telling a sluggard, do you know why you don't have nothing? Do you know why you don't get any promotions? Do you know why your pay is where it is right now? Because you're a sluggard. He's got excuses to ward off seven wise men that tell him he's a sluggard. That's the pit. You know, self-righteousness is one of the most difficult sins to ever counteract because the person thinks they're more righteous than you are. So anything you say to them, they discount as not being valuable to them because they're already better than that. And a sluggard already thinks himself better than that. He desires and has nothing, but he can't figure it out, even though seven wise men give him a reason for it. The sluggard can't even figure out how to go to the city, according to Ecclesiastes 10.15, because he's too much of a fool. Do you know how you get there? By hard work. He dreams about getting to the city. I want a job with a Rolex and a sports car and two cell phones. <laughs> the only man that's going to get there is the diligent man, and he could be behind the butt end of an ox. But if he uses the produce from the one ox to get a second ox, all of a sudden he's getting somewhere. Diligence. Christians work diligently. Christians work by great energy and focus to be very productive. God doesn't suggest hard work. He commands it. God doesn't suggest hard work. He ridicules those who don't work hard. And I'm skipping many verses on this subject. Diligence has the promise of reward in this life and the next life. Look at 12.24. The diligent man is going to be rewarded. There's a reason that they pick certain men for promotions. You say, well, my company, it's all politics. Oh, no, it isn't. Your company has shareholders that require something of the board of directors, and the board of directors require to the chief executive officer, and the chief executive officer reports requires it of his underlings, and that is production. Don't tell me about the exceptions. The rule is, and God tells us to always argue by the rule. That's why the Bible says that if a man were to beat his slave, and that slave were to die 25 hours later, there was to be no crime charged in the matter, because that is his money. Because the general rule is that a man would never destroy his own property. It's worth something. He would only destroy property that's not worth anything, and the, and the slave deserved what he got. Now, if you beat him to death in the spot, that was murder. The Bible, the Bible goes through all that. The Bible tells us to, to argue and to reason and to think by generalities. Because generalities are absolute rules. Right. Exceptions don't count. Don't, don't give me excuses. Those are the excuses that a sluggard gives to seven men that can render a reason. Productivity is what diligence is all about. Amen. It's not busy work. It's not, I'm so busy. Because you're going from one project to another and not being productive and finishing anything. It's productivity. Producing. 1224, that's what diligence is all about. 1224, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Do you know who gets, who gets promoted to the top? The diligent. But the slothful shall be under tribute. And though our nation right now is subsidizing and bailing out slothfulness and foolishness, there is, there is coming to bear a greater pressure on our nation for productivity. So those who are diligent are going to be re rewarded even more in the future than they have been in the past. Because this economy is going to become very dependent on some productivity. The nation as a whole declined 3.8% in the fourth quarter, and it's going to continue to decline unless the Lord is merciful and turns this nation around. When I say 3.8%, I'm talking about the entire combined efforts of the entire population of the United States of America. They're looking for productivity because that's how people make money. The only way a company can make money is there is productivity. Even if you're in an office, it's productivity. What are you getting done in the time that's been given to you to get things done, projects done? But a diligent man, he ends up bearing rule. 
12.24. But the slothful shall be under tribute. They're going to have taxes and burdens put upon them. They're just going to be a, a beast of burden because that's all they're good for. They're not going to bear rule. They don't deserve to bear rule because they don't work hard enough. Look at 22.29. What a great text it is. 22.29. For those of you who know this and are doing it, all, all I have to say to you is, and to me, and I hope I'm in that category, we beseech you by the Lord that as you heard commanded from us that you would abound in it more and more. But don't you dare put yourself in that category unless you belong in it by the Bible's definition. You're there, let's do it more and more. Let's even be more diligent. 22:29. What a wonderful young man. Look at this. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. You know they call it modern math. What does the word mean here? What does the word mean mean? Average. They knew about modern math. The word mean means average. You're not going to have to waste your time being around average men. You're going to stand before kings because the cream rises to the top. Do you know what goes to the bottom? The dregs. The dregs fall to the bottom. The cream rises to the top. Oh, I want to do that. I want to rise. I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to go up. I want to be successful. The verse tells you how. What's the word you want out of that verse? What point am I trying to preach? Seest thou a man? Diligent. Faithful. Hardworking. Intense. Focused. Persistent. Early. Late. Full-blown, not pacing himself, not taking days off, not laying out, not calling in, i got a headache, I just don't feel like, are you kidding me? Bye-bye. Going down, the bellboy has the elevator to the cellar. Why in the world would you ever call in sick? Why? If somebody else has to call in sick for you, let them call in sick from the hospital phone. I'm exaggerating a little to make a point. See a style man diligent, he's going someplace. Owners love diligent workers and they'll take care of him. You keep the fig tree, you'll eat the fruit of it thereof. You wait on your master, you're gonna, he's going to honor you. It's a rule. It's a rule and you can count on that rule. Don't talk about riches. Don't think about riches and don't read about riches. Don't read about success. Here, listen to success. Go do something and you'll be successful. The Bible warns about that over and over. Chapter 12, verse 11 is an example of it. Proverbs 12, 11, He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. If you listen to some better idea, there's a better way than farming for our dads. Who wants to farm for our dads? Let's go try this. Let's go do this. Get out there in the field and plow your next acre, buddy. You plow your next acre, you're going to go someplace. This is the word of the Lord. It's truer than gravity. I'm not as convinced of gravity as I am of this Bible. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. But he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. He has missed out on how to get ahead. Because the fool doesn't even know how to get to the city. And he gets to the city by hard work. Listening to a vain talker with business opportunities for you. If you have a job, you've already got a business opportunity. Go do it. Do you know why he's talking to you? Because he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a business. 
He is hoping that you will take money out of your pocket that you earn by working a job and put it in his pocket for not working a job. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Let's have a sales meeting. Really? A sales meeting. What does it lead to? Penury. 13.11. So many verses and warnings. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. 13.11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. If you're following some business scheme that isn't based on hard work, then you're following something that doesn't make sense to God or man. And you are, you are going nowhere. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Labor. It's diligence. It's, it's a reward in doing it. Sorry about those white-collar jobs and engineering-type jobs where you've got to think all the time. You don't feel as much that you accomplish something, but you're, do, you're still doing it. If you're finishing projects and coming up with solutions for the perfect tire that will last me 400,000 miles. Boring work done diligently will work better than talk of riches. God's word promises blessings upon those who will be diligent when you go to work tomorrow. 10.4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. I've told you before about the strong handshake of a real man. But forget the handshakes. That's only a, a, a symbol. What does your hand do? Does it grab hold of what you're... Even if it's a mental activity, the hands are then become a metaphor. But if you have a manual job, then you get your hands in there and you do it. The hand... According to Proverbs chapter 10.4, he becometh poor that dealeth with slack hand. If you have hands that are let down and, and you pace yourself and you walk over to this station to do your job. Listen, this is the average work. Pace over and do, do your job here and look around. Oh, yeah, i got a kink in my neck. Oh, the Lord doesn't care about the kink in your neck. Get your hands to work. If your hands will start working a little harder, your neck will feel better. If you make enough money, maybe you can go to a chiropractor who will get the kink out of your neck. You poor little thing. Walk, move, hands. Grab a hold of it and do it. He becometh poor that has a slack hand. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. It works, it works, it works. Diligence. So how do we meet the goals the New Testament gives us? By being diligent. Christians are diligent workers. They are the hardest workers in a company. Are you known to be the hardest worker in your department? Are you known to be the hardest worker? Not busy work. Productive work. There are exceptions. Where somebody may be a slave to their work because that's the God of their life. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the man that, the, that your bosses know you have everything in proper balance. You are a good husband. You are a good father. You are a good Christian. You are a good church member. You are a good neighbor. You are a good citizen. And you're the hardest worker he has within those constraints. Slothfulness need, leads to more laziness. Just get over it, jump out of bed, and get started. 19.15, Proverbs 19.15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Do you know why you can feel sleepy sometimes during the day? Because you're not doing enough. You're not sleeping because you're tired. You're sleeping because you're still too slowed down. Do you understand what it's like in the morning? Do you understand it metabolically and biologically? In the morning you have fasted for anywhere from 8 to 14 hours. When you fast and go without food, your body has slowed down. You have not moved. For, forgive me for overlooking the Casanovas for a few minutes. You have not moved all night long. Therefore, your body has slowed down, slowed down, slowed down. So now it's 8 o'clock in the morning. To move is painful. 
But once you get up and get moving, get the blood flowing again, get your heart elevated from 45 beats a minute back up to 75, get your blood pressure elevated again, you all of a sudden are feeling better quickly. But slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. The slower you go, the more tired you feel, and the harder the job seems. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. And an idle soul shall suffer hunger. It's idleness. Get busy and you'll feel better. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Chapter 20 and verse 13. Energy comes from activity. Energy does not come from sleep. Overall, you need sleep every 24 hours, generally. But energy comes from getting up and getting going. Ask any athlete. Hey, have you ever seen how long that an athlete has to warm up before they perform? Do you know what the average person thinks? If I warmed up that long, I'd have to go to bed before I could perform. A sprinter, a sprinter will take over an hour warming up before he runs a nine-second race. Where does he get all that energy from? From warming up and getting blood flowing to every joint, ligament, and muscle of his body. Getting his lungs fully going, his heart ready for it. Because when you get out of bed, are you ready to run a 100-meter race in nine seconds? But you should be rested. Because I'm, I'm getting my rest. No, if you want energy, get up and do something. Get up and get going. 2013, love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Get them open. Get them open. Throw the covers off. Jump out on that cold floor. Get started. The early bird gets the worm, they tell us. And you'll feel more like getting up after you get up. Don't pace yourself. Don't walk to your job casually or stretch a task. Finish it now. Finish it as quickly as you can. It's so easy to hire people, especially for, for manual jobs where you need to watch, where you need somebody that's got a physical motor. You can tell when they get out of their car and walk to the front door of your place of business whether you should hire them or not. If they stroll towards your front door like this, you don't want them in your store moving like that. So don't even interview them. Bye-bye. We just The position was just filled. I can, add an, I can add enough effort myself to make up for you. It was just filled. But when someone gets out of their car and comes boldly, the front door grabs that thing and you're wondering if it's going to come off the hinges and they come in boldly, where, where, where's this application? Are you looking for it? Yeah, yeah. What do you want? And you get that kind of a person. Got a motor. They don't love sleep. They want to get to it right now. Brethren, this is the word of the Lord. I've taken a long time on one point. But diligence is a big point in the Bible, not slothful in business. Was the Apostle Paul a good example of diligence? Day and night. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, day and night, I gave you an example. Was the Lord Jesus Christ diligent? Amen. How much leisure time did he have? According to Mark 6, he had no time for leisure in this particular context. Did he have crowds pursuing him all the time for healing and for preaching and teaching? He was diligent. What did, what did he say about his life? My meat is to do my father's will and to finish his work. That's my meat. The Lord Jesus Christ is our example. The Apostle Paul is a great example. We want to be the cream of the crop in Greenville because we want to honor and glorify him who has called us to be his children. And that's God our Father. We want to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We want to have the things needful for life. We want to have to be able to give to others. We want to have to be able to give an inheritance to our children's children. We want to have to be able to give to the kingdom of heaven. 
and we want to prosper. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That's from a book of philosophy. And that if leisure and resting was the real enjoyment of life, then Solomon would have said it. But he said, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor labor, nor device in the grave, whither thou goest. We've only got a few years to work. Be excited about going to work tomorrow. Lockheed Martin? Ho oh, ho! They kicked some... What can I say on tape? I wouldn't say anything bad, but they kicked some fanny in the year 2008. Horses have fannies. Can you kick them once in a while? Lockheed Martin did great. What didn't they? You're part of a winning team. The Lord puts you on a winning team. We don't know what's going to happen this year. But you get to work at Lockheed Martin. They moved their entire facility in Greenville to a mile from your house so you wouldn't have to drive as far. Not their entire facility, but part of their facility. Is that true? Are you still working there or did you move back to Donaldson Center? Don't tell me. It, it's a blessing. Do each of you look at your things that way? Yesterday, when you went outside, did you thank the Lord for the blue sky, the sunshine, the health, the strength to enjoy it, the lungs to suck in the air, the fact that the air was about 72 degrees instead of 22? Did you tell the Lord all that? Did you tell Him? I mean intensely tell Him. Did you tell Him that you loved Him for doing all those good things for you that you deserved none of them? Tell Him about your job. Brother, you're working on Butler Road. You know I get thrilled about that every time we talk about it. They want to send you all over the world. All over the country. But you're working on Butler Road. Still working there. And that six-month project has turned into five years. Or whatever it's been. It's wonderful. Look where you're working. How many, how many else out of your class got to work where you're working? Two. two. Oh. How many students go to Clemson in the engineering school? More than two? Three? Three hundred? Great. Is it in a field that you like? Do you like cars? Does Michelin have a racing team? Yeah. Are you thankful for your job? Are you thankful for the company that God should... Do you, know who you're, do you know why the boss you have is, is your boss? Do you, have you figured all this out? The God of heaven picked your boss for you. You say, I can't, I can't figure out why. But he still did it. And there's a reason if you put this into practice, it'll bear fruit. We, ha we have jobs, and we better be thankful for every one of them. Every single one of them. Every hour you get to go to work and get paid for it, we better be thankful for it. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for us to be hardworking Christians in whatever God has given us to do, that we will be diligent and found faithful of him in what he's called us to do.